Hello, and welcome to another podcast for U.S. History Repeated. I am Jimmy LaSalle. Today's podcast will cover the Supreme Court case of Plessy versus Ferguson and the emergence of segregation in the United States. Before we get into the meat of the podcast with Jean-Anne, I want to invite you to our website or our social media channels and submit your email address to us. We are going to be hosting some special events like history happy hours and venues for lesson plan sharing amongst history teacher peers. Get on the email list for all things Jimmy and Jean. And now a quick shout out to our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you in part by Keen Insights Internet Services. That's K-E-E-N-I-N-S-I-T-E-S. Go see our friends at Keen Insights for all of your internet marketing needs. Next, EliteBookEdits.com. Writing, writing, wherever it's wrong. Go see our friends over at EliteBookEdits.com for all of your book editing needs, both fiction and nonfiction. Lastly, a little plug for myself. I had a book called Unified Marketing Strategy published in April of 2021. This is for business owners, CEOs, or anybody interested in marketing, advertising, and a unified marketing strategy. Also, during the course of the COVID lockdown, I was working on a few screenplays, which I am now in the process of getting published. Be on the lookout for Immortals Revelations, a story about vampires who want to reveal themselves to the world and then things go terribly wrong, as well as The Naughty List, which is a fun Christmas-themed romantic comedy where two people who are independently helping Santa get people off the naughty list are kind of matched up together. Okay, that takes care of the business at hand. And now on to our resident history expert, Jean Anzanakis. Jeannie, take it away. All right. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about Plessy versus Ferguson, the Supreme Court case, and the emergence of segregation in the United States. And I'd like to start off today with a quote by W.E.B. Du Bois. And the quote is from Black Reconstruction in America, 1860 to 1880. And Du Bois says... It was not then race and culture calling out of the South in 1876. It was property and privilege shrieking to its own kind. And privilege and property heard and recognized the voice of its own. So 1876 is an important year because it's the year before Reconstruction ends. And In order to understand why segregation occurred, kind of have to go and talk about the conditions within the South. Jim Crow laws were named after a song, Jump Jim Crow, which was performed by whites wearing blackface. Blackface, you know, it it was a common depiction in various vaudeville shows throughout the country. In the post-Reconstruction era, Jim Crow laws restricted the rights provided to black Americans from the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. By the 1890s, southern states began passing laws that disenfranchised or took away African American males' right to vote. Women do not yet have the right to vote. There were a number of violations to voting rights. You could not deny someone the right to vote based on their race, but you could deny somebody the right to vote for another reason. So they could and did pass other laws which denied many black men and eventually women once the 19th Amendment was passed, 
with the creation of things like poll taxes, literacy tests, and the grandfather clause. Poll taxes were expected to be paid when registering to vote, and then each year that you voted. Some states required payments months before the election, and in some states, the poll taxes were cumulative. So if you couldn't afford to pay the poll tax last year, well, now you have to pay last year's and this year's poll tax. In Georgia, all men were required to pay a poll tax between the ages of 21 and 60. It was a cumulative tax starting from the age of 21. Now, literacy tests. I just gave Jim a copy of a literacy test, and he's been taking a look at it. And, you know, we're going to talk about it in a minute. Literacy tests weren't simple. They were made purposefully difficult. In some states, one wrong answer meant a failing grade. You can download examples of literacy tests and show them to your students. I'm actually going to include a link um, to this podcast. Try to answer the questions yourself in the time allotted. Most people today would fail them. In some places, the questions were chosen at the discretion of the official giving the exam. In some cases, you could have been asked to recite the Declaration of Independence from memory. All right, so if you clicked on this link and you're looking at the test yourself while you're listening to this podcast, you know, if you just look at the first question, it says, draw a line around the number or letter of the sentence. Well, what does that mean to draw a line around? Are you making a square? It's asking you to make a circle, but it doesn't come right out and ask you to circle it. And then are you drawing a line around the number one? If you look at question five, circle the first, first letter of the alphabet in this line. How would you answer that question? So circle the first, first letter of the alphabet in this line. Well, I guess you could either circle the C, which is the first letter in the line, or the first letter of alphabet, which would be A in the word alphabet in this line. I said, these questions are, are ridiculous. Draw, cross, well, there are a couple of, of, of layups. Draw a line under the last word in this line. You can do that. Cross out the longest word in this line, which would be longest. Draw a line around the shortest word in this line, which... Yes, it would be a. Uh. In the space below, draw three circles, one inside engulfed by the other. I guess you know, that's only explained too, so I guess you could do the third one however you want to do it. Okay, look at number 10. Okay, let's see number 10. In the first circle below, write the last letter of the first word beginning with L. Oh, in the first circle. So you have to put a T? Yes. Okay. Number 20 is my personal favorite. Well, let me see. Let me see number 20. Spell backwards, forwards. Wouldn't it just be backwards? B-A-C-K-W-A-R-D-S, right? I mean, Lord knows I'm literate, but this is silliness. Well, yes, you're illiterate. You're not, you're not illiterate. You're literate. And that's exactly the point. So here you are. You are highly educated. You have multiple degrees. Now, consider you are 
a former enslaved person. It was illegal for you to be taught how to read and how to write. Maybe you have minimal schooling. These questions, one wrong answer meant you failed the test. If you ran out of time, you failed the test. So it was impossible. One of the things that they did because literacy tests were not only impacting black Americans, but it was also impacting poor Southern whites. So they passed something called the grandfather clause. Many times we hear the phrase of someone being grandfathered in. That phrase has historical roots. According to this, if you were eligible to vote in or before the election of 1867 or your grandfather was able to vote before 1867, you could bypass literacy tests or poll taxes and be eligible to vote because nobody's black grandfather was eligible to vote before 1867. This prevented poor Southern whites from being disenfranchised along with black males. Then they had what was called white primaries, and they were held in many Southern states. The Democratic Party held white primaries only, or white-only primaries. If you know that after 1877, when Reconstruction ends, the South was known as the Solid South, as they solidly voted for Democratic candidates. Again, white-only primaries. Violence or intimidation was used against black men who attempted to exercise their right to vote. In some places, the names of people who attempted to vote were printed in local newspapers and labeled as troublemakers. Many people were fired from their jobs because their employer saw their name listed in the newspaper. People were beaten for attempting to exercise their right to vote. People went to jail for attempting to exercise their right to vote. People were lynched for attempting to exercise their right to vote. And so when you hear of or you know somebody or maybe even you who are choosing not to go and vote, don't throw it away. Jim Crow laws didn't just restrict voting rights. They restricted the lives of black Americans socially and economically. In 1883, a group of five civil rights cases brought before the U.S. Supreme Court had the court rule eight to one that the Civil Rights Act of 1875 was unconstitutional. In each of those individual cases, African Americans were denied access to a business because of their race. The Civil Rights Act of 1875 stipulated that businesses could not deny access to or service to an individual on the basis of race. The decision of the court was that individuals or businesses or business owners, they have the right to decide who they will allow access to their business to, that denying to serve someone is not the same as slavery. With this decision, segregation becomes a common practice throughout the country. A famous Supreme Court case, Plessy versus Ferguson, takes it one step further. Before we talk about the case, I think it's important to talk a bit about Homer Plessy and the conditions within the state of, the, of Louisiana 
that led to the court case. There was a law called the Separate Car Act, and it required that all Louisiana railroad cars have equal but separate accommodations for the white and colored races. The law also punished owners of railways or even conductors with a large fine if they didn't comply and with the passengers who could be fined or jailed for attempting to ride in a car that was designated for another race. So why Louisiana? It's important to look at the history of the state, specifically New Orleans and its population. Once upon a time, Louisiana was a French colony. During that time, you see intermarriage between blacks and whites, some men freeing their wives and children upon marriage. It was known as the placage system. The women of color who married white men did not have the same legal recognition for the marriages as white women did who married white men. In addition, you also see a significant influx of Haitian immigrants after the Haitian Revolution. When Louisiana is purchased by the United States, things change for blacks living in Louisiana, whether they are enslaved or whether they are free. When Louisiana becomes a state in 1812, things change some more. By the mid-1800s, New Orleans is one of the largest cities in the United States. By the time of the Civil War, you see the migration of freed blacks from Louisiana because of all of its restrictions. Why live in bondage there when you can live more freely somewhere else? So it is important to understand that there is this significantly sized mixed race population within Louisiana. In the post-Reconstruction era in Louisiana and in the rest of the southern United States, you see states passing segregation laws like the Separate Car Act. A civil rights group in Louisiana, which was known as the Citizens Committee, planned to test this law. Homer Plessy was a local 30-year-old shoemaker, and he was chosen due to his appearance and ability to pass as white so that he could purchase a first-class train ticket. Homer Plessy was considered an octoroon. He was one-eighth black. Understand the significance of simply having a term for such a thing. He was one-eighth black, but under the eyes of the law, he was black. Many states used the one-drop rule to determine an individual's race. It didn't matter how you identified yourself or what you looked like. The state of Virginia, for example, passed racial integrity laws, which legally banned people of different races from intermarrying. The Committee of Citizens had the plot very well planned out. They had raised the funds needed to test the legality of the law. This is an example of civil disobedience. The railroad company was in on it. The committee even hired a private detective who would ensure that Plessy was arrested for violating the Separate Car Act and not some other type of misdemeanor charge. On June 7, 1892, Homer Plessy boarded the first-class train car and when asked if he was white, he answered that he was seven-eighths white. He was told to move to the back train car. 
Plessy refused and was arrested. He was charged with violating the Separate Car Act, and his lawyer argued that the law violated the rights protected by the 13th and 14th Amendments. The first judge to hear the case was a man by the last name of Ferguson, hence the name of the case, Plessy versus Ferguson. Judge Ferguson upheld the act, stating that the state had the right to regulate businesses that were operating within its borders. Plessy and his lawyers appealed the case. The Louisiana Supreme Court affirmed the judge's ruling without even rehearing it. Then they appealed to the United States Supreme Court, which, as we know, is the final stop. In April of 1896, the Supreme Court case Plessy v. Ferguson began. A little over a month later, the court issued its ruling in a 7-to-1 decision. Justice Henry Brown wrote the court's majority ruling in which he stated the following, and this is a direct quote. The act didn't violate the 13th Amendment because it didn't establish any condition of involuntary servitude, and it didn't violate the 14th Amendment because it didn't restrict blacks any differently than whites. This ruling legitimized segregation. The lone justice to dissent was John Marshall Harland, and in his dissenting opinion, he stated, Our Constitution is colorblind and neither knows nor tolerates classes among citizens. In respect of civil rights, all citizens are equal before the law. As a result of the Supreme Court case, separate but equal became the status quo. It was separate, but understand it was anything but equal. Not only would train cars and buses be segregated, but restaurants, hotels, waiting rooms, schools, and other public facilities. They would all be segregated. This would not change until the Supreme Court case Brown versus the Board of Education of Topeka, Kansas. This would not be changed until the Supreme Court case Brown versus the Board of Education of Topeka, Kansas in 1954, and it would take the civil rights movement to begin the process of protecting the rights of black Americans in the United States. Thanks for listening to U.S. History Repeated. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Parlor. Visit our website, ushistoryrepeated.com, and subscribe to our podcast. There's always more to learn. Talk to you soon.